Uh, Romans chapter 12, we're uh, continuing that series. Uh, Last week we paused and did a little look on the image of God in us and what that looks like. I think it directly relates to Romans 12. Um, But Romans 12, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We are going to be looking at uh, verses 11 through 13. Um, Before we read those verses, though, I wanted to just take a moment and remind us of the context, because in many ways, context is everything, right? If If you don't understand what the author is really communicating in the overall passage, then it's hard to get what he's really saying in this particular passage. I've highlighted three things here on the screen. First, that uh, all of what we understand today has to be understood in light of the fact that we've been urged to do these things based on the mercies of God. I'll talk about that more in a moment, but because of his mercy, uh, because of us understanding that, we are then implored, like, do what we say in this passage because of those truths. Uh, Second, we're called as an overall idea in the passage to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, to, be, to give our life away, to say that, God, you've, you've invited me, you've called me, uh, you've adopted me, I'm now your child, and it's my, uh, my opportunity to give back my entire life to you. And then the third one is to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. The Truth is that most of us make life about ourselves at some level. Our comfort, our needs, our interests, the focus is us. And what this passage is communicating is that in order for you to do some of what we're being called into, we have to live out of a posture that's not about us and rather about others. So not thinking of ourselves, but instead thinking of others. All right? So with all that said, is kind of the context. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 13 say this. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's the uh, passage for this morning. And uh, what you're going to notice about this passage, or at least I noticed right away, is that there's an intensity to it. There's an intensity to this particular passage, right? That everything that Paul is saying comes with this energy, and you see it from the words he uses. So I'm going to give you a more literal translation of those verses and just spell it out really simply, okay? So he starts off, and he gives this first command, and he says, In the Spirit... And in our, our language, we read they're fervent, but the literally means boiling, like boiling lava, like boiling water. It's on fire, it's bubbling up, it's exuberant, um, that there's this energy with it. So what he's saying right at the beginning is that our uh, life in the Spirit of God should be boiling, overflowing, energetic. Uh, so you can see it's an intense word. He goes on after that and says... That in the Lord we're to be slaving. Now, we, in our English translation, read the word serving. I probably prefer serving, right? It's a little more passive. But the real understanding of this passage would be to say that we're slaving for God. That we've offered, and you see this all throughout the scripture. If our body is a living sacrifice then the understanding would be that I am the slave servant of God. 
that I'm fully willing to do whatever he calls me to. That's the intensity of this passage. Again, the next phrase is in hope, rejoicing. Not just joyful, but again, in this exuberant rejoicing, this excitement. A little further on, tribulation. To means to remain under. Okay, like that's like the worst rendering, if you think about it, right? Tribulation or trials, we go, yeah, that, I mean, that's horrible, that stinks, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to get out of it as quick as I can. And what the literal translation means when it comes to trials and tribulations is to remain under it, to stick it through, to be in it and learn from it, right? So again, the next uh, phrase, prayer, steadfast. Okay, or persevering, continuing, like being committed to it and continuing to pray and pray and pray. Uh, the necessities of the saints to be sharing, to be giving of what you have to meet the needs of others. Again, not just this word contribute, not just like, hey, if, it's, if it uh, works for me and my budget, but to actually, at a cost to ourselves, be willing to share. And then last, hospitality, pursuing. Okay, these are the, the more literal rendering of the passage. But what you notice in it is that everything that Paul is saying comes with intensity. All the language, all the verbiage. Uh, he's really saying, go after it, go after it, go after it. And I think that's what this idea of a living sacrifice is all about. That a living sacrifice means you've given your very life to God. And this is a picture of what love with intensity looks like. That there's love with action. So I guess one thing to maybe discuss in small groups as a, as a question is, if you, if you looked at your life on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your intensity in faith? In what way are you living out these commands with intensity? Or are we kind of casually floating through or are we really chasing after it. So you have this list of commands, and uh, we could sit here all morning and go command to ca- command to command, but uh, for the sake of time, I just chose one this morning that I wanted to um, kind of get after, okay? And the, the, uh, I settled on the last phrase, pursue hospitality, okay? Now, I settled on it for two, two primary reasons. The first one being that, uh, according to my notes, it's been over a year since we've taught on the idea of hospitality. And I alluded to it as one point in one sermon uh, last May. Okay? Before that, I think it was a whole other year before we gave like a complete talk on this idea of hospitality. But the second reason that I wanted to um, talk about this particular characteristic or this particular command is because I actually believe that hospitality can change the world. Right? I think it uh, is, really, it's an overlooked quality that uh, could have dramatic effect on the world. Now, certainly, there's others in this passage that would do the same, right? We believe in the power of prayer, and we believe that prayer can change the world. We believe the transformative nature of trials or tribulations. I mean, uh, James refers to that in his book. He says, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work 
so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything, right? So if we want maturity, if we want completeness, if we want wholeness in God, then what he's saying is then consider it joy. Remain under that trial because it can transform you. So obviously all of these commands can be transformative, but I think that uh, we often overlook the transformative power of hospitality, that it can actually have a radical impact on people. And so I wanted to take a moment to speak about it this morning. See, in ancient times, hospitality was kind of viewed as one of the pillars of the moral structure of society. But I would argue that in today's society, hospitality is uh, maybe misunderstood or primarily seen as a, uh, a sector of business. We could uh, have the hospitality industry, which means hotels and catering and fine dining and all of those things. And, and we've really lost a biblical perspective of what hospitality is. In fact, I think what we've done is we've reduced hospitality to a style. What I mean by that is we, uh, th- when we think of hospitality, we think of tea parties. We think of uh, cute little desserts and everything laid out really nice. All the decorations we think wedding showers, or we think um, baby showers. We think about inviting people into our home. Um, and, and really, I think that uh, in some ways, the way we've described hospitality leads us to having subtle forms of lying. Have you ever noticed that? That, that we're always in the, in the process of, of trying to put up a particular picture of what it looks like, but in reality, it's not, Right? So like you invite people over to your house and it's everything is exactly where it's supposed to be. Everything's clean. I mean, the kids are sequestered off in some place where nobody knows that they're even there. You know, you have like everything laid out the way it's supposed to be. Uh, But everybody knows 15, 20 minutes before that, like it's you're throwing things in closets and you're like trying to hide stuff and you're like, man, bring out candles. We got to make this place smell good. And you're doing it. You're just lying, basically. Right. It's this whole thing we put up, but we've reduced it to a style. And then what we do is we feel bad if our style of hospitality might not match someone else's style of hospitality. They might have finer things or they might do it in a particular way or they have a better space in which to do it, and we suddenly think that maybe I'm not supposed to be hospitable, or maybe it's just not my skill set or gift set. The other thing we do is that we make hospitality synonymous with entertainment. Again, what we do is we uh, like move it to just the private sphere of life. That it just happens kind of off on the side, usually happens among friends, it's usually located in a place like a home or an event center. Usually happens at a time when you send out an invitation or an evite. You, you like block off chunks of time and you go, oh, we're going to be hospitable from 7 at night till 9 at night. It will be great. And then we'll send you home, right? Like, that's what I mean by we make it synonymous with entertainment. And if we're going to be truly honest with ourselves, we tend to invite people over that are a whole lot like ourselves. Economically like ourselves, probably racially like ourselves, culturally, even age-wise, right? It, it just is easy, and so we make it about entertainment, we make it about a certain time of the day, we make it about an invitation, and we kind of go on with life, right? Uh, which I think those viewpoints, us seeing it as style or us seeing it as entertainment, uh, tend to cause us to believe that hospitality is optional. 
It's something that some people do and other people don't. It's something that some people are good at and others aren't. And so we come up with excuses. I mean, maybe you've heard some of these excuses. The, uh, I don't have a big enough house. I don't have a, a good enough space. I mean, our, our house is kind of divided up and it just doesn't create a good space to have people in to entertain. Or um, my stuff isn't as nice. I mean, it makes sense that they would host because they have really nice stuff, but um, me, not so much. Or, uh, you know, I just don't have time in my schedule to be entertaining. Well, all of those have a perspective of it being a particular style or it being a particular place or a particular time rather than it being something far greater, which is a lifestyle. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I think our passage in Romans 12 highlights two really important ideas related to hospitality. The first one is this, that hospitality is a command. It's a command. It says practice hospitality. And it's not like, hey, if it feels good to you and if you've got a really you know, big house and it works out, then, then practice hospitality. It just says practice it. It's a command. And this is not like an isolated concept. It's not like, oh man, the only time we ever read of this is in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, and it's one little phrase, practice hospitality. No, this is scattered throughout the scriptures. I'll give you a couple examples. You have Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Obviously, the writer of Hebrews is saying that there's a propensity for us to neglect it. Don't neglect it. Pursue it. Do it. First Peter, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Right? Which probably means it wasn't a scheduled event. It probably means you didn't have a chance to send out an evite. It probably means somebody just showed up and you had a choice to make. Do I show hospitality or do I not? Do I welcome the stranger or do I not? Do I carry on with my schedule or do I allow it to be interrupted? Right? That's why we have to be challenged with the idea of not doing it without grumbling. Right? There's a third one um, in the Old Testament, unless you think it's only a New Testament idea. When the stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him, uh, do not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So he's reminding them that because of this understanding of me as your God, that I was a God who welcomed you, and in likewise, you should welcome the stranger, the foreigner, those that you don't know, or those that you do. We're to welcome them in. Uh, That last passage really uh, highlights another part of Romans chapter 12, which is this, that hospitality is motivated by the mercies we've received. So I said, in the context, right, that uh, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. What he's saying is, the things that I'm inviting you to do later on, which one being practice hospitality, are all based on this idea that you and I were shown mercy. So to put it in our particular context, it means that all of us were shown hospitality at one point. All of us were strangers who were welcomed in. All of us at one point were enemies 
turned into friends. All of us at one point were in need and we were provided for. So out of that motivation, what Paul is saying is you've seen it happen in your life. All that grace, all that mercy you received, now in turn, pour that out on someone else. In fact, in Ephesians, it describes it this way, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that we have received immeasurable kindness, unbelievable mercy, and that it is our responsibility in light of it. I appeal to you out of that mercy to then go ahead and be people who act with hospitality, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, expectation, any other word you want to use that makes it a should, but rather like, this, I get to. I get to do this because of all that he's done for me. So I want to encourage you this morning to think of hospitality as more of a lifestyle. Instead of thinking of it as a time or a place or a space or a particular thing you do, a task, to really think of it in, in this way, that hospitality is not so much a task as it is a way of living. It's an opportunity for us to live life in a creative and provocative way. So I want to suggest four words this morning that will maybe help us lean into this idea of hospitality. The words are create, risk, invite, and give. And I want to highlight each of these ideas quickly. The first one is the idea of creating space. That I think one of the best ways to define hospitality is the idea of creating space. Now one says it's the creation, hospitality, is the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend. It's, it's creating this, this bubble, so to speak, of space that invites people in in a way that allows them to move from a place of being unknown to being a friend, from being a stranger to being someone who's close. I think uh, for me, hospitality has been probably one of those more transformative things in my life. I, um, in some ways, had the privilege of seeing and experiencing hospitality growing up, as well as the frustration of it. And I'll give you a a couple examples. Um, my, My family signed up to be greeters at our church when I was little. And uh, by greeters, I meant like once a month uh, or more, uh, my family would show up early, which first of all, I wasn't interested in showing up early. I just wanted to get there on time. Uh, uh, not late, but just on time, right? Um, and uh, so it was like, no, I'm not interested in that, but I would have to stand there and hand out bulletins to everybody who came in, regardless of whether I knew them or not. And I remember just being like an um, elementary student and a junior high student doing that and going, this is the worst thing ever. Right? But my dad wasn't just a greeter. He was what I call a reverse greeter. Okay? What I mean by that is, he greeted everyone on the way in, but he had a way of saying goodbye to everyone on the way out. And I was always the last one to leave the church. I mean, there, there would be Sunday after Sunday where I'm like waving at the pastor who's leaving. I'm going, why are we still here? Like, what are we doing? And he's just, you know, my dad so much, was going from person 
to person to person. I mean, there'd be times where I'd play with friends for 20, 30 minutes. We'd go outside, we'd run around, we'd come back in, and then we'd still be like, oh man, we, you know. My mom realized, like, just make crockpot meals because they're not going to burn, right? I mean, there was a period where she'd be like, we've got to go. The house is probably on fire. Like, let's, let's get, you know. But uh, that, that was frustrating at times. But then I began to understand it and embrace it and see it as something uh, far different. Um, I also remember that uh, the missionaries would come and present. And they would present on whatever you know, place, whatever calling they had, whatever place they lived. And uh, we would see them in the Sunday morning service. And uh, back in the day, we had a Sunday morning and then we had Sunday evening. And uh, what I like to do in the afternoon as a junior high student, early high school student, we're just relax, right? I mean, do nothing. And uh, I think just about every single time there was a missionary, they had lunch at our house. It was just like this given and so I remember at first, again, hating it, sitting around a table with strangers. Didn't know them. Even if I did know them, I hadn't seen them in four years. I don't know what to ask them. I don't know what to talk about, right? But being in that space, sitting with people from Bangladesh and Africa and, and, and in, on college campuses doing ministry and whatever, uh, it, I suddenly started to see hospitality in a whole new way. Now, both of those illustrations I used specifically because that's what we, again, tend to think of when we think of hospitality, that there's a time for it or a dinner or an invitation. But I remember probably one of the most transformative ideas of hospitality for me came when we were sitting in a, in a church service. It was um, a particular Sunday, I think it was a Sunday morning, um, <clears throat> and they were making announcements. And I remember uh, one of the announcements, the pastor got up and he said, uh, we have this unique opportunity. Uh, they're about 45 minutes away from uh, here, maybe a little further, an hour away from where the church is. There's a, uh, a campground. And uh, <clears throat> on this campground, there's a bunch of like trailer parks that are like year-round trailer parks. But then there's a section of the campground where people come from all over and visit. And uh, he's describing all this. And he said... Um, we actually, somebody gave us for the summer a trailer in the middle of this trailer park about an hour from here. <clears throat> and we just think it'd be cool if we had a family who would move there for the whole summer and just be like to center their life on hospitality. So to greet every new person who came, get to know them, hear their story, you know. And I remember just sitting, I was in junior high, and I remember sitting there and just like announcements as usual. And my dad stands up and goes, we'll do it. <laughs> and I'm like, do what? You know, like, and, and we did, we did it. We went for the whole summer. I'm in junior high and I'm going like, okay, no friends for the whole summer. I'm, uh, we went to, the place was called Breezewood Acres, which automatically knows they're trying to fool you, right? When you name something like that. And uh, so th this is like a picture of the area, like the, that's a place where we were staying or near where we were staying. And uh, I remember like pulling up in our car and going, we're going to live in that with no TV, with a small bathroom, and some guy every week's going to come and suck the bathroom clean with a hose and a tr into a truck. And like, where am I going to shower? What am I going to do? And then I, this is the shower. It's been updated since we've been there. I just looked at it. But 
The name of it is the comfort station. That doesn't scream comfort to me, right? But it was like, that's where we're dragging our towel and walking, getting our shower. And I remember a whole summer of being there. And my entire perspective of hospitality changed. Now, I'm more naturally an introvert, whether you know that or not. And meeting new people, I was not thrilled with. But every new person that came, our family is the first family to go over, greet them, welcome, where are you from, what are you doing? And uh, I remember this one particular kid, uh, why his family was visiting from Ireland and why they chose that campground, I will never know. But they stayed two weeks in this like pop-up camper near where the, the rest of the trailers were. And we like went swimming and we played soccer like all day. And I mean, it was an awesome experience because I was opened up to the idea that part of our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to create space for people, to invite them into something, to welcome them, regardless of where they're from, who they are, whether they're like us or not like us, that we have this privilege of creating space. And that's one of the ways to look at hospitality. Don't look at it as a time or an event, but look at it as a lifestyle with one of the ideas is to create space. A second idea would be to risk. Risk is implied. Cost is assumed when you think about the term hospitality. Henry Nouwen says this, Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and do harm. But still, even with that, right? That is our vocation, to convert the enemy into a guest, and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. I'm going to suggest that one of the leading reasons why we don't engage in hospitality the way that I think we're called to as followers of Jesus is fear. It's fear. And fear in all different levels. I'm not saying fear that uh, some, you know, you'll invite someone over and it'll end up being some evil, horrible person that's intent on doing harm to you. Right? There is probably for some of us that fear. But I, I mean... Fear that you invite somebody, you go out of your way to ask, and they say no. That's a fear for some. A vulnerability, an openness. Others, it's fear that someone will take advantage of you. They'll stay beyond their welcome. Um, that you'll have to always keep, keep giving and giving and giving. But if I keep my distance and I don't invite them in, then I, they're not going to ask anything of me. And that'll be a safer place for me. Some of us, I think it's uh, fear of what others will think. You know, you invite them over. What are they, they going to think of my house, the way I live, what I do, what I think is fun? Um, you know, maybe they'll never want to come again. That might be awkward, right? We have fears about, uh, I know some people have this, like, well, okay, after I invite them, what will I say? What will we do? I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm fearful, right? There's all kinds of fears. But on top of fears, there's also cost. There's, meaning it's going to cost time. It's going to cost energy. Uh, it's going to cost emotional bandwidth. Right? 
Like you give away your emotions and it's not like they get filled right away. Like it, it, it can wear you down. It costs uh, sometimes a meal or the cost of going out for coffee or it costs the spare bed in your room where they stay for a little while. All of those things, um, I think, shouldn't deter us. But we have to go in assuming that risk and cost are a part of it. If you go in with that assumption, it will probably, most likely, turn out to be far less than you feared. But at least go in with that assumption. Cost and risk are a part of hospitality. But again, it can be a beautiful thing. Third one, third idea is invite someone to join you. So hospitality, again, is an invitation. It's not just limited to do a space or a time, but it's an invitation. Um, and I, I would argue that a hospitality can happen at any time, at any place where you invite someone in. It can happen right here in this space, and it should happen in this space. During greeting time, there should be an opportunity for you, even if you're an introvert, right, to find one person. And just say hi. Welcome. What's your name? My name's Russ. I'm going to sit down now because I'm spent. Okay? <laughs> right? That, that's fine. That's fine. But at least do that with someone, right? It's an invitation. It's a, a chance for you uh, to get to know people. And it, like I said, it can happen anywhere. I, I've told some people this story before. I've told the interns this story. I know. But um, my wife has this ability to uh, just seem to be able to ask questions, invites people into a space, and then people jump into it. And, and I've, I've told some of you this before, but I, I was at the store, and uh, I was, we were just kind of like going through the routine, getting stuff. Uh, we had uh, just one child at the time, was Carson. Uh, she was like maybe two or three. And I, uh, I'm, I said, okay, I'll take Carson, because like, I just want to get it done. If we're shopping, we got stuff to get done. We know what the list is. I'm going to get it, and then like, we're going to go do whatever we want to do, right? And so she's like, okay, I'm going to go to the meat counter. And I said, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to like, go down these next three aisles. And there's like four things on my list, and I'm going to get them. And so I'm taking off with Carson. We're just going you know, up and down the aisles. And I'm like, I'll meet you like three aisles down. And I get to my spot, and I'm waiting, and there's no Shannon. And I'm like, where is she? You know? And I'm still waiting, no Shannon. I'm like, okay, there, I know there's another thing on the list. I go get that, and I'll come back, and I'll still beat her. And I get there. Still no Shannon. So now I'm kind of getting frustrated, I'll be honest, I was. And I um, made my way to the meat counter, because I'm figuring she's got to be there still. And I get there, and she was just getting the meat and walking back over to me. And I go, what in the world? Like, did they have a huge line? No, I was the only one in line. Okay, why, how come it took you as long as it did to just get some ham? Like, do they have a problem? Was something not working? No. So what happened? And she simply said, well, I met, and I, I forget the lady's name. She's like, I met Pam at the counter, and I just, you know, we just had a conversation. And I go, well, what was the conversation? She's like, well, I just asked her a couple questions, and then uh, Pam told me that uh, she's pregnant, but she hasn't told her husband yet. And, like, she went out and, like, told me this whole story. And I'm like, you just needed to get me. Like, how did it turn into this? Like, if I went and got meat, even if I asked Pam a question, there's no way she's telling me that she's pregnant and hasn't told her husband yet. It just doesn't work that way. How did that work? 
But there's something about the way we ask questions. There's something about inviting people into a space where they know you're listening, where they know you care, where it's not just this transaction of, I'm getting meat from you and I don't even care what your name is, just give it to me and I'm on my way. But being at a place where like, I actually care about you and I see the value and worth in you and you just happen to be behind the meat counter. And if we get around to it, I'll get some meat. That's a way different perspective. And I think part of hospitality, and the reason it can happen anywhere, is it's just an invitation into that. It's just an invitation into that space to say, hey, listen, I'm, I want to know, and I'm part of you, and I'm part of your life. And, and I think we can also invite people um, into our lives in really interesting, convenient ways. I talked uh, several months ago about the idea of layering, right? And uh, for some of you, layering kind of really connected the idea of being able to accomplish multiple things at the same time. When we, val- or when we realize that hospitality is not just a segmented piece of time, I think it frees us incredibly to be even more hospitable. Here's again how we tend to think of it. From 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock at our house, we're going to be hospitable which requires me to have a time of day free. It requires me to set everything else aside. It requires your schedule to be free at the same time of my schedule. And the odds of all that lining up means that oftentimes when we uh, go, hey, you guys want to come over to our house? We're like, okay. Well, a month and a half from now, you and I are both free at the exact same time, and this will be awesome, right? That's way different than just saying to someone, I was talking to uh, this one girl just the other week, and uh, she's like, hey, I, I want to I go out for coffee with your wife. And I said, great. But here, here's maybe something that would be even easier. Instead of you trying to figure out when it works with your school schedule and her trying to figure out when it works with the kids and everything else going on, just do this. Ask her next time she's going to Costco because she shops. All of us at some point have to, right? And then just go, can I come along? And simply the next hour and a half, you'll be together You'll do stuff together, you'll talk, you'll listen, you'll, you'll share a space, right? So my encouragement is this, invite people into your life that way. Not just at segmented times, but at all times. I mean, I'd much rather shop with someone. I'd much rather go uh, to a soccer game with someone. If I know I'm going to watch a football game, why not just have someone watch it with me, right? All of those are opportunities to say, I want to invite you in. To this space. Last but not least, give people your full attention. Give people your full attention. Uh, I would argue that the most important act of hospitality is giving people our full attention. Uh, to pay attention to someone else means that I have been able to rid myself of my own pre-self-occupation, right? Me being so into myself, it, it forces me to empty myself of myself. And put my attention on someone else. And I want to give you a couple ways you could do that. One is ask questions. Uh, don't, don't feel the need to, to make space for you to talk. Make space for others to talk. Right? Be someone who asks questions. But when you ask questions, be someone who listens. Listening is hard. Okay? It's hard. Because it forces me to no longer prove myself. Right? If I talk, then I get to tell you how cool I am because I'm a little bit nervous that maybe you don't think I am, right? Or if I talk, I'm trying to prove something. 
That's why you notice that if people move into a room and they, they suck up all the air in that room, well, it's because they really are needy, to be honest. But if you walk into a room and you give breath to everyone else to speak by listening and asking questions, you suddenly become a quite hospitable person. And so my encouragement would be to listen. And one of the best ways to do that is with eye contact. I know this is super practical, but probably one of the more frustrating things when people, um, when people enter into trying to be hospitable is the fact that we uh, communicate we want to be hospitable, but then everything we do about that shows that we really didn't want to be hospitable. So let me give you an example. We come here for a second. So it would be as simple as this. If I'm having this conversation, have you ever noticed that you start into a conversation and then when he begins to talk that I start to do this? Right? And I'm looking at everybody beyond him. I'm seeing who else is coming. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. You know, no. It, right here, it should be this. Right? This is hospitality. This is openness. This is saying your space, the space we inhibit together, right? We, we're in this together that I care enough that I'm not looking over here, right, or all over the place. Can I borrow this for a second? And I'm certainly not doing this. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, Mm mm-hmm, good, thanks, right? That's, That's where I think we as a society, thanks, by the way, that's where I think we as a society are sometimes. We say we care. I want to be with you, but then I actually act like you're the least important person in the room. That, I, that I, I, it, I'll be talking with you as long as there isn't someone else that I'm scanning and find more significant than you. And as long as there isn't someone or something or some timer or the score of the game or whatever. The latest recipe, the dings or whatever, right? Like, it, it, Hospitality. It doesn't just require a certain time of the day. It requires our very lives. Romans says this, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show or pursue hospitality. Let's pray.